This week on Dig Me Out. Yeah, that song's definitely unique. It had me, you know, intrigued as the album started. Tim and Jay review the self-titled album by Kim Salmon and the Surrealists. Do I have the right key? Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me for our second review of our Australia Month, number 223 overall, Mr. Jason Ziak. That was a big lead-in there, Jay. It was. Yeah. You're really, of, really milking it. A lot to build up. Indeed. So we're in the third week. We just did our roundtable last week, a very successful roundtable. Had a lot of positive feedback on that. And we are now doing our second Australian review. We kicked it off with Crowded House, their uh, album from uh, 93, Together Alone. And we're going in a different direction thanks to a requested review. Requested Requested review. review. This one comes to us from, who else? Mr. Gavin Reed, who guested on our roundtable. He previously has suggested... Um, a band called Be- The Beasts of Bourbon, and they were fronted by a man named Kim Salmon, who was also in a band uh, in the 70s, 80s, and I think they've reformed a couple times, The Scientists. He also had his own band called Kim Salmon and The Surrealists. Uh, they formed in the 80s, and uh, we're going to review their 1995 self-titled album, thanks to Gavin. So, Jay... I know you're familiar with Beast of Bourbon because we just reviewed them not too long ago. Were you familiar with Kim's other band, Kim Salmon and the Surrealists? Uh, I sure wasn't. Yeah, me neither. I don't know. Probably in doing research, stumbled upon the name, but didn't realize we were going to be reviewing it, so it didn't stick in my head. Um, So let's just jump into uh, history of the band. History of the band. So Kim Salmon and the Surrealists, um, formed, of course, by Kim Salmon in 1987. He's living in Perth in between tours um, for the Scientists, which would be the last tour for the Scientists. And he was playing in the Beasts of Bourbon and started the Surrealists in 1987, as I mentioned. Uh, Brian Henry Hooper on bass and Tony Pola on drums. They recorded their first album and released Hit Me with the Surreal Feel. Second album, Just Because You Can't See It Doesn't Mean It Isn't There, was recorded in 89 and then released in 1990. The third album, Essence, was released in 91. And the fourth album, Sin Factory, was released in 1993. At that point, drummer Tony Pola was fired and he was replaced with Greg Bainbridge. Later, Brian Henry Hooper left... Um, And he was replaced by Stu Thomas. 95, I mentioned that they put out a self-titled album, which we're going to be reviewing. In 97, they put out You Gotta Let Me Do My Thing. And they added a horn section to the band for that. In 99, Kim renamed the band Kim Salmon and the Business. And they released one album called Record. Uh, Stu Thomas stayed on bass, but they went through a bunch of different uh, drummers and and sax and trumpet players and in 2000 phil collings not collins phil collings 
was recruited, played drums, and uh, there was a hiatus. But then in 2010, they released Grand Unifying Theory, which was the first surrealist record in 13 years with Stu Thomas and Phil Collings in the band. So that is the history of Kim Salmon and the Surrealists. If you have an album that you would like us to review, please head on over to our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com and request a review for us. So we don't have any feedback from uh, Facebook or the website, probably because this is a hard record to find. Uh, I'm sure if you're in Australia or New Zealand, um, this is probably a bit more popular. But this does not appear on Groove Shark, nor on Spotify. Now, Jay, is Spotify like iTunes where it has different regions? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so maybe the Australian Spotify, it has it, but not on the American. Possibly, yeah. You tend to see things, um, or at least I feel like you, you, I see things float in and out of regions a little bit more on Spotify. So things will kind of appear for a while and then disappear as rights you know expire or are extended gotcha so it, you know it could be it would be one of those things if you search for it in six months it could pop up again but uh yeah they definitely regionalize it so let's move into the review portion of our program jay let's talk about what we liked and what we did not like about the self-titled album from 1995 from kim salmon and the surrealist jay Tell me one thing that you liked about this record. I, I like the, I like some of the vibe. You know, I think the two records we've done uh, featuring him, that's what they had in com- they've had in common. There's just like a kind of a loose swagger, kind of a spoken, almost rambling at times vocal, qual- you know, uh, delivery. Um, it, it just it it paints a picture um, of kind of being a loungy or kind of a you know late night bar scene it definitely has a definitely has a unique feel a distinct feel i concur with you on that one thing that i liked about this record in in addition to that is uh the sound of the record has a like early i want to say too early mud honey but it has a mud honey feel which is not a surprise scientists and the and mud honey toured together they were friends they might still be friends as far as i know and it has this, uh, I'll say like on track one, I Wish Upon You, has this like dirty, like bluesy, but primordial, like oozy, like it has this swampiness to it. Combination of this, you know, three piece that's, it's it has this loose tightness is all the, is the way I can put it, where they're able to like slip in and out of these sort of like bluesy and dirty riffs and do so in a way that sounds like there were you know three guys in a room recording this live Mm -hmm. um the first track which uh wish upon you reminded me a lot of like john spencer blues explosion at the at their most like stripped down Till it burst your head 
couple songs. I really enjoyed that sleazy, bluesy vibe on the slower tracks. Redemption for Sale, I'm Gonna See You Compromised. Those are the tracks that, that really worked for me in terms of uh, kind of the overall sound of the record. I, I think when we move into um, stuff that didn't work, like songs like What's Inside Your Box, while they it's a strong song, I felt like it was more akin to what he was doing with Beasts of Bourbon, and it didn't have that same um, vibe or mood that the slower and um, swampier songs have. I hear that comparison on that song. Um, I think the difference is, you know, maybe from a songwriting standpoint, it's there. There's something about the production of this record that doesn't work as well as the Beasts of Bourbon, uh, whereas that record... It had a genuine room sound, meaning you you could hear the space, you could you could hear the instruments kind of around you, and you felt like you were in the room with them. This has more of like it's very it is it's reverbed that's trying to emulate a room sound, but it doesn't uh-huh. quite. It does it more in an artificial sounding way, and I think for a band like this, that that's really important. Um, it ends up putting the vocal maybe just a little too up front than I'd like. I, I kind of like in Be Suburban, there's there's a little bit more guitar interplay, um, and the vocal kind of sat in the middle of that controlled chaos, you know, and that looseness, and it kind of worked really well. And in this, you know, it almost sounds like uh, what's inside your box. It almost sounds like uh, like the production of a. Uh, like a Peter Wolf or Jay Giles band song, but not but with musicians that aren't of that, you know, caliber, I guess. Um, so I, I hear similarities in sort of in that song and how he, you know, he delivers. And um, I kind of dig that, but it's not the right presentation for, for this band. I don't think. Yeah, why I like some of the material, but I, I like that song. I just, I don't know. The way it's presented is um, not quite right. Okay. Let me ask you about a couple of tracks. Um, track six, Frantic Romantic. That's actually a an old scientist song that was kind of updated for this record. Um, have you ever heard the original version? Which song? Frantic Romantic. Uh, I ha- I hadn't, but that was one of my favorite songs for the record. Well, that makes sense because it was I think it was like late seventies, early eighties that that was a single. Uh, I think it was like the first scientist single that they ever put out. Um, yeah, I, it, I, that is one of the best songs, but it's also I think by this point like fifteen years old. I picked up on that seventies kind of feel, and and I picked up on that seventies feel in the dragon and dragging out the truth. 
mm-hmm. as well. Maybe it was the piano that's added in there. And I really like I, I like that quite a bit. Um, I like that sound on the band. You know, maybe it goes back to their to to their roots a little bit more. Maybe it's just that it's a little unique. Maybe it's just a personal thing, affinity I have for that you know era of music. But mm-hmm. um, you know, in those two songs in particular, I definitely could hear that, and I, and I dug that. When they got, there were times here. I think you you mentioned, you know, I guess Mud Honey is the best example. They get kind of grungy. Yeah, they, you know, they get Seattleish. Uh, I was thinking. I think Mud Honey's good. I was also thinking of Skinyard a little uh-huh. bit. Um, especially with the vocal and some of the, I don't know, the melodrama that's created with uh, how the vocal delivery is done and some of the dynamics in the songs. And I was struggling with that a little bit. There was moments where I kind of dug when they got into that sound, but I wasn't really sure if it was the right direction for this band to be going. I don't know. It just seemed a little bit more genuine or successful when they wore their 70s roots a little bit more, when I could hear like, you know, Jake Isles band or the New York Dolls or, you know, something like that coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, it made a lot more sense to me and felt um, much more unique. Um, you know, another band that came through to me was the the guitar playing on Holocaust. You know, very Neil Young-esque, crazy guitar it leads, almost, you know, a Dinosaur Jr. Right. Uh, feel that song. So... You know, I kind of dug that uh, direction as well, where the you know the guitar became very expressive and the vocal kind of took a backseat. That was kind of interesting. I guess just overall, I like I don't just like him as a as a singer vocalist, but um, I guess I like when he's um, kind of in the mix more. Just both you know literally in terms of volume, but also. Uh, just in terms of the role the vocal plays, I like when it's a little bit more balanced with the rest of the band. I just think it works better. And I think the Beef Suburban, at least the record we reviewed, felt that way. Like it was kind of a more of a democracy, I guess, in terms of what everybody was doing. This seems to be, I don't know, I feel like it's much more focused on his vocal. Do you? Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably why it's Kim Salmon and the Surrealist and not a. Yeah. And not a band name. Um, True. So on Holocaust, that's actually, you remember we were talking about 70s bands. That's actually a big star cover. Yeah. And the original version, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but for people out there who haven't, it sounds much different. It's mm. it's totally stripped down to, um, there's no drums. And it's a very uh, eerie sounding. There's like, so it's on Big Star's third album, which is either called Third or Sister Lovers or um, there's a bunch of because it was released in multiple countries with different album titles. It's kind of it's been called different things. But that's the after Chris Bell had left Big Star, Alex Chilton was just doing everything and he was doing a lot of crazy things like, you know, recording a song literally the, while he was writing it. But like having other people play on it without knowing what he was doing. So he was getting like these conflicting guitar lines that didn't go together. And he was, it was basically like experimenting. It was mm-hmm. a lot of crazy stuff. So there's a couple songs. Kangaroo is another one that Jeff Buckley um, famously covered on uh, uh, one of the Grace like live albums that like there's no drums on the songs. They're just like 
really like just pianos being plucked and guitars that are just like feeding back and um, slides that are going out of tune and stuff. And they're just these weird, eerie songs. And Holocaust is already a, you know, a very dark song. I mean, for God's sake, it's called Holocaust and the lyrics are dark. Now, what's interesting is around the same time that Kim Salmon released this, um, I saw Sunvolt live, which Mm -hmm. probably would have been about 95, 96. And they covered Holocaust in almost the same way, like in this like Neil Young dinosaur junior kind of way. I think I might even have I need to look in my boot tape bootlegs and see if I have at least hold on a second. I'm going through my my cassettes. Dig, dig it out. Let's see. Cassette number one, no. Cassette number two. Yes. They covered it uh, at First Avenue in Min- in Minnesota on December twentieth, nineteen ninety six. Hmm. It, was, it was a similar presentation or you know, interpretation of it. Yeah, um, I oh. can bust out my K set and li- give it a listen later. But uh, they say K set because uh, did anybody, uh, anybody familiar with one of the uh, Pretty Money Mighty albums will understand that. <laughs> did uh, Big Star perform that song live ever? Um, I don't know if they were playing any live shows by the time they got to the third record. I think they were just a studio band. By that point, I, I don't have a good recollection from the book that I read. I know they toured the first two records, but... Just wondering if they would have played it that way. You know, more along those lines as a live band as opposed to this very sparse, you know, sort of uh, atmospheric right. version that's recorded. I think by that point, they it was pretty much over. I don't mm-hmm. know, even know if they toured at all for the third record with had Chris Bell having left the band and Alex Chilton being in charge. Um, the record label wasn't really supporting them. They had a hard time even getting the records in the stores and, you know, they would play like showcases for critics, but when they would tour, they didn't really draw that much. Alex Chilton was trying to like, he was the kid lead singer of the box tops who had the song the letter in the seven in the 60s are you familiar with that song uh what is it has, called? has the lyric it's the letter it's, it has the lyric um 
uh, give me a ticket for an aeroplane. Oh, yeah, sure. So he's the lead singer on that. But he was like 16 years old. So he was like a pop singer as a teenager. And Big Star was when his, I guess, his early 20s. And by the point where Big Star had failed, essentially, he was Mm -hmm. basically kind of deconstruct his career. So he was making these, starting to make avant-garde records. The third Big Star would be the first one. And then he moved on to like doing solo stuff that was very uh, minimalistic and fractured. And then he was played with a band out of New York City called Panther Burns. That was like, literally they would make up songs on the spot. Like it was just art noise type stuff mm-hmm. late 70s so he he had started with big star like kind of deconstructing music and um way far afield from the the uh, kim salmon but in terms of like reinterpreting the blues and the sort of deconstruction of that i hear that and i wish upon you so it sort of kind of made sense why he would pick a holocaust or pick Holocaust to cover as opposed to one of the earlier big star songs, which are very power pop. So in terms of the, uh, I think you pretty much covered, you know, what didn't work for you in terms of whether it's production or, you know, the way that his vocals are sort of put up front. Uh, I I think for me, the stuff that didn't work was when it sounded more, uh, like you said, like more mud honey, more skin yard where it's, it's kind of just, could be sort of swapped out with one of those yeah. bands and the stuff that I think when he's sort of channeling I hate I hesitate to bring up Nick Cave but since it's Kim Salmon and the Surrealists and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds I kind of sure. feel like there's some sort of kinship there I, I like when he does those like uh, sing speak you know slower songs because they remind me of that Nick Cave stuff that I enjoy um, and I don't love everything Nick Cave does some of it's a little too hard to digest i guess uh but for the most part like i think this is around the time the murder ballads album came out in the 90s mm-hmm. so it's an interesting i i don't know what their relationship is between if those guys have any sort of a commonality or or what but i feel like this isn't too far off in some cases from what nick cave was doing around that time with like murder ballads and whatnot yeah it sounds a little derivative i mean it kind of goes in different directions it just doesn't seem as uh I don't know. I think Beast Bourbon just sounds more original. I mean, to be just simple about it, you know, I just yeah. think it sounds like a unique, a unique band that has their own sound. And this sounds a little bit more like uh, trying on some different clothes, you know, and seeing how it works. And right, uh, you know, the the band, uh, it's a three three piece, right? I mean, so you can't dramatically yep. change your sound, but uh, uh, sometimes it. I get it, and other times it just it sounds a little, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say desperate, but just a little, trying a little too hard. And I would suggest that people check out the original scientist version of Frantic Romantic. It's a bit raw. There's a, I don't know if it's a drum machine or if it's just a very, um, if it's just the way that it's EQ'd, but the drums sort of start out real small, and then they get bigger as the song moves into the chorus. Mm-hmm. So it has a bit more dynamic to it than this version has. It's still, this version is good because the song itself is just, it's good. It has a catchy, it's you know got a good melody and whatnot. So mm-hmm. you're going to remember it. But the original version, I found it on YouTube, uh, just a 
you know the song uploaded to YouTube. So mm-hmm. I would suggest uh, people check that out. give our overall ratings jay on kim salmon and the surrealists were the album better ep or decent single where do you lie uh i'm at i'm on an ep you know i like i said i dig the you know more of the 70s stuff in terms of you know vibe and influence so i've got dragging out the truth frantic romantic what's inside your box and um i do like holocaust so i'm at about four songs Interesting. I think we agree on one. I would go with I Wish Upon You, Redemption for Sale, I'm Gonna See You Compromised, Holocaust, and I do like It's Your Fault. So You like good. I Wish Upon You? Yeah. We didn't even talk about that song. Oh, wow. Yeah, we okay. did. Yeah, we did. That was the one I said it sounded like John Spencer Blues Explosion. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, I yeah. think I was really hoping that the record was going to go more in that direction because I thought it was going to be more unique. Yeah, that song's definitely unique. It had me, you know, intrigued as the album started. I didn't think I was hoping the song would go somewhere else, but it didn't. Um, it, but that said, I mean, it definitely um, had me um, curious as to what the rest of the album was going to hold. Um, I don't think, like again, though, I don't think much else on that on the record really goes in that direction, right? It's kind of a little bit out on an island. In terms well, of its simplicity. The, the music is definitely on an island. Uh, yeah. The vocal, I think, is what I liked, and it pairs well with, say, "Redemption for Sale," which has a, a, a nice dynamic between these bass-driven verses and the and the big louder chorus, mm-hmm. which he repeats on some other songs, but I didn't think as well. I, and I would include Frederick Romantic. So I'd, I actually have six songs. Um, I just I just didn't have that because it was a a song that already existed in his catalog. But I would be at six songs. So it's a, it's a strong EP. Mm-hmm. But we're totally different EPs. So that's uh, so there. So there. There you go. So that is our review of Kim Salmon and the Surrealist two differing eps which would then equal an album essentially um we need to thank gavin reed for his suggestion for our second review for our australia month and um next week we will be doing our interview unfortunately it is not related to australia month fortunately it is a very cool interview 
and um, you will find out about it soon. If you have an album you'd like to suggest for us to review, please head on over to our Dig Me Out page, Dig Me Out website at digmeoutpodcast.com and hit up our request review page. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. All right, Jay, that's it. 223 is in the books. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Awesome.